0: From Campside Media, I'm Bijan Steven, and you're listening to Eclipsed. Today's episode is about a very divisive part of American culture.
1: From, like, commercialization to gender to race to class, all of that's in the mall, right? That's Kristen
0: Meinzer. She's a cultural commentator, podcast host, and mall expert.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could talk all day about malls. They're good, they're bad, they're terrible, they're wonderful.
0: On this wormhole episode... We'll relive the fear of America's mallification. Because some people thought the mall would tear apart the very fabric of American society. The mall was seen as the death of America's downtowns. They would be an environmental disaster, and they'd create a cultural wasteland. But was that fear unfounded? Kristen helps us understand the complicated legacy of malls. And she'll share her love hate relationship with one of them.
1: Tomorrow, when the Mall of America opens, there are going to be 270 stores.
0: That's right, the Mall of America. A mall so big, it has a theme song. That's after this break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. I see why people like malls. There's something alluring about what might happen there. Like, what if you met someone cute? But I try to avoid them as much as possible. Too big. Too many people just walking around. Kristen Meinzer couldn't escape malls as easily, mostly because she grew up in Mall Country, USA, which is where we'll kick this episode off.
1: I grew up primarily in Bloomington, Minnesota, and the thing that Bloomington, Minnesota is best known for is the Mall of America. It's the largest mall in the U.S. And my mother, who worked retail her entire life in her later years before she died, ended up working at the Mall of America.
0: And so so how old were you when it was built? What, like, what was the, What was your relationship to it growing up?
1: Okay, so when I was a kid, I can't remember the exact age I was, but when I was a kid, there was talk of, you know, breaking ground on what was going to be the largest mall in the U.S. And I remember thinking, this is a terrible idea. I was uh, a kid going through my awakening of anti-consumerism and, and you know, my interest in the environment. I was going on, you know, marches against things like nuclear proliferation and environmental destruction and so on. And I was at an age where I refused to wear any clothes that actually had brand labels on them. And the last thing I thought we needed was another mall with lots of chain stores, with lots of consumerism, with lots of environmental destruction, especially because Minnesota already had enough other malls. The first fully enclosed indoor mall in the U.S. was just a few blocks from me already called Southdale Mall. And my mom worked at Southtown Mall, which was just a few blocks away from that. And then there were at least a dozen other malls that were within a 10-minute drive of my house. Why did we need another mall?
0: Right. So so I'm curious, uh, were you alone in your assessment of the mall? Like, what did the community think?
1: Uh, there were a lot of opinions about the mall. There were certainly those people who, like me, were wondering, do we actually need another mall? Uh, do we need to take any more business away from the downtowns? And in addition to that, there were people who thought maybe the mall's an okay idea, but what kind of deal is there going to be? Are the developers going to walk away with all of the money? Is any of the money going to go back into the city of Bloomington? There were definitely concerns about that. And, uh, you know, there were also concerns of what if it flops? It was being billed Mm -hmm. as this next big tourist attraction. It's going to be Disney World followed by Disneyland followed by the Mall of America. That's how big of a deal this is going to be. This is how many people are going to come here because the plans were so vast and so great that it really was going to be this giant attraction for people around the world but what if nobody came so there were a lot of fears a lot of concerns and i don't think anybody was 100 percent on the same page as anybody else there was also the concern of where are they going to put it oh no they're going to knock down a historic stadium for it and the historic stadium the met center was where the vikings played where the twins played where Mm -hmm. The Beatles performed. The only time the Beatles performed in Minnesota was at the Met Center and uh, where Harmon Killebrew became a legend. And it was going to be knocked down to put up a shopping mall. There was a lot of rumbling about whether or not it was a good or bad thing to put the mall up and to destroy a monument in order to do it. And so that happened. They did all that. Like, the the mall
0: breaks ground. Like, how did you feel that day? Or if you remember, and I don't know, like what else was going on in the world at the time? Like how what was the bigger context?
1: I just thought I'm never stepping foot in that place. It seems terrible to me. (laughs) How long did you keep that
0: resolution? (laughs) For quite a while. I just thought it seemed terrible.
1: Yeah. And the first time I did step foot in it, I felt like it felt really claustrophobic, even though it's such Mm -hmm. a huge, massive building. I just felt like, there's no airflow in this place. I'm trapped indoors. I can walk for miles and miles and never see a door. I just felt like, like how many gap stores does anybody need in their life? Well, apparently in the Mall of America, it's like half a dozen. It was a lot. So it was just, wow. it, it didn't feel good to me to be in there. But as far as other things that were going on in the world, probably most notably the same time the ground was breaking on the Mall of America was when Tiananmen Square was happening, when the Tiananmen Square protests were happening. Other battles that were happening in the world at the same time were, you know, Margaret Thatcher was being Margaret Thatcher, Bush was being Bush. Mm. Uh, I remember around the same time Salman Rushdie was in trouble for the Satanic Verses. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, so there were other things (laughs) that were going on, things that for people in the rest of the world were a much bigger deal because they weren't living with this giant thing in their backyard, redefining what the whole city was going to be about. Before that, Mm -hmm. when people defined Bloomington, Minnesota, there wasn't anything to define it by like that not on national or international terms
0: what happened in your life and when was the mall completed and how did those two
1: things intersect oh my gosh so i think the mall wasn't completed until i was maybe in college maybe in high school it was many many years later cuz you know it it it's not a fast thing to put up a ginormous mall that's the size of a city it it's Essentially, an indoor city. And I remember just avoiding it. But then, when I was in college, part of what I studied was the history of public spaces and malls as public spaces and malls as gendered spaces. And I started to develop kind of a more nuanced view of malls and the fact that they were designed primarily with women in mind and women with children in mind and women with children living in the most severe weather state in America in mind. Because Minnesota, at least before climate change, it would get up to 30 below zero in the wintertime and up to 110 degrees in the summertime, you know, tornadoes and flash floods and a lot of other Mm -hmm. severe weather. The malls all through Minnesota were really designed to make sure a woman didn't have to take out her stroller strap her kid in it, grab a shopping bag, buy what she needed to in one shop, then do it all over again, disassemble, put the kid back in the car, drive somewhere else. Mm -hmm. They were really designed so it could be kind of a one-stop shop, a one-stop where you could meet your friends and have a cup of coffee on what was essentially the square where maybe a school group would be singing to you during the holidays. And there was something kind of special about that the more I learned about malls and what the idealistic view of was, Mm -hmm. you know, that they would always be temperature controlled and that they would always be safe. And there is something kind of beautiful about that. And there's also something kind of beautiful about the idea that women were thought of first, not men. Because so much of other things in the world, it really is about putting men's desires or men's perspectives first. And so, yeah, my mind started to change a little bit about malls once I was in college and learning more about it.
0: While Kristen was studying the impact of these indoor shopping centers, some were still skeptical, even scared. That's next. When the Mall of America opened in 1992, it was big news, especially for Minnesotans. When Mall of America opens this summer, it will be the largest in the
1: country. If you shop around the Mega Mall, by far the most unique store you'll find. I want to show you what the shopping
0: area layout. Here's a clip from an oddly intense report from that year on the mallification of America. But if the malling of America is good for shopping, is it good for society? Is the age of the mall the beginning or the end of civilization as we know it? As we report from the future, I think I can say malls did not ruin America. Although I think America might have ruined the mall, considering how many dead malls litter the countryside. But still, 40 million people visit the Mall of America annually. What is in the Mall of America? I've never been. I have been to Times Square, but I assume these two (laughs) things are different now. Like, what's in there?
1: Oh, there are roller coasters, a flume ride. I think they call it the log ride. There's... Uh, Legoland. There's an aquarium. The aquarium was quite tragic. I remember being upset as an environmentalist child that a very large percentage of all the animals that uh, were there either died in transit or died shortly after they arrived in the aquarium in the beginning. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God, it was a tragedy. Uh, There are hundreds of stores, hundreds and hundreds of them. There's a wedding chapel. There were schools in there. There Mm -hmm. were hotels there. A lot of those things are still there from what I understand. Um, That way you could just, you know, zip into town, stay in a hotel and just stay at the mall the whole time if you want to. There were bars, restaurants, hundreds of bars and restaurants, a movie theater with, at the time, I think some of the most seats of any movie theater in the world, and uh, I think 24 screens. And I remember... People started going to that mall to do all those things. There were some people who would just go to go to the bars at night and do line dancing because line dancing was kind of the rage back then, Or they would go to the mall and try to see celebrities because every once in a while there would be celebrities there who would just come in and see the spectacle of it. There were school groups that would perform on stage and uh, all sorts of just gathering spots where you can just sit if you want to and have a cup of coffee, places where... Uh, You didn't have to buy anything at all if you didn't want to. And you could just be indoors. Okay, here's a weird aside in an already weird episode. There was this guy, this is like before reality shows were really reality shows. He said that his friends were going to pick out somebody from the mall. Like women, you can show up and audition to be my wife. My friends will pick out somebody for me to marry And once my friends pick you out, then we'll get married right there at the mall. And Mm -hmm. that was probably the most infamous thing I remember happening when I was in college and everybody thought, oh, what a stunt. Oh my God, somebody wants attention. Somebody wants to be famous. (laughs) David Weinlich may know what he wants. It's who he needed help with. By three o'clock, the contest was over.
0: I am pleased to announce the engagement of Mr. David Weinlich to Ms. Elizabeth Runsey.
1: And they did it. They, his friends picked out this bride for him. He married her. But no matter how fast this happened, everyone here says this is one marriage that will last a lifetime. And they remained married for, I believe, the next 20-plus years until one of them died. I think he died.
0: I'm trying to square in my mind like this massive economic consumerist thing with like, you know, somebody genuinely falling in love and like making like those two things happening in the same place.
1: Yeah. And there are weddings there all the time. I mean, I remember once uh, going on a tour with somebody there who said that in the early days they averaged one wedding a day, I think they said in the mall.
0: Jeez. I'm curious. It's not like a Vegas
1: chapel. It's a pretty little chapel. It really is. It's a pretty little chapel. And a lot of people, when they get married, then have wedding pictures taken on the carousel or, you know, (laughs) walking around the mall or doing other things that just you would only do there.
0: Okay. See, you can meet someone cute at the mall. All right. Back to it. I do feel like, culturally, we've, we've moved past malls in a way. And I think a lot of that is to do with, you know, internet shopping and ease of access to, um, to consumerism wherever we are. <laughs> but I think there is something uniquely nostalgic, at least for me, about, you know, the mall is like a gathering space. The mall is a place where you went to see your friends without, like, adult supervision, really, and, you know, being a teen. They're also just, like, some of the last sh- truly shared spaces. Like (laughs) where everybody intersects.
1: Yeah. And there have been debates over the years of like, is a mall a public or a private space? You know, if you photograph somebody in a mall, you know, in public, if you're walking down a street and you take a photo of a street scene, it's taken for granted that the people who are in your photo are in a public space. But is that always true when you're in a mall? And I know that there have been different legal cases debating that. Like, when are you in a public space and when are you not in a private space? If the private space was designed to be a public gathering place, does that change things?
0: Yeah. I have no idea what the answer is, but that's a great question. Yeah.
1: I mean, but malls are already so politicized. If you think about all of the zombie movies in the 70s and 80s that had at least one scene in a mall or that were set in malls, they've always been political spaces even if people see them Mm -hmm. simply as a happy getaway where you can walk around with your big gulp. It's like They've always been a place where businesses are pit against each other where the idea of what it means to be valuable in our society about what it means to look a certain way what it means to um, occupy certain spaces who belongs in which spaces um, what is the idealized version of how we should dress how we should present ourselves so many things happen at a mall that are really about our values and about what's good and bad in the world, right? So it makes sense that horror movies have always had scenes in malls, right?
0: I'm also curious because like you said that most of most of the time that you've been around in the mall has been around, you have not enjoyed the mall. So when did that start changing?
1: Well, I think that a lot of it changed. Like I said, the older I got and the more I learned in my studies in my studies of consumerism, of gendered spaces, and so on. Also, quite a bit of it changed my perspective, because my mom's life was made better by the mall. My mom, I don't know if she would have had the life she did in her later years if she hadn't worked at that mall. And she took great pride in it. I remember, you know, visiting her at work and she was like the mayor of the town, walking around and showing me this and explaining the schedule of this. And this is how many acts are here. Did you know every single day in the mall that people come to perform? This is the main stage. And she was so proud of it. And she had her regular customers. And um, my last visit to Minnesota, which was shortly before the pandemic, my mom's no longer with us, but her sister still lives there. And her sister now is in her 60s, and and she's retired, and she and her husband now they are like ambassadors at the mall. They go every morning and they walk with all the other folks who are retired. And my aunt was so proud to show me around the mall. And she feels a sense of community there. She feels a place to go every morning when she wakes up. And, and she's so proud of, uh, at this point, what a diverse place it is. She said, do you remember when you were a little kid growing up in Bloomington and you were one of the only non-white kids in school? And now look at this mall. Everybody's here. So it kind of changed things in that way. It definitely made Bloomington a more diverse place, too. And that's something that we should all embrace, even though there are a lot of problems with malls, even though I still have issues with the consumerism and environmentalism and all of those issues. There is something beautiful about a space being opened up where people who didn't used to live there can live there now.
0: Thank you so much for talking to us today here on Eclipsed.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, you entertained all of our mall questions, which I really appreciate. So zombies and politics aside, malls haven't destroyed America. As Kristen has reminded us, they can also be nice things. Like community centers, feminist spaces, wedding venues, theme parks, aquariums water parks Lego land. special thanks to Kristen meinzer check out her podcasts by the book and movie therapy with rafer and Kristen, wherever you listen to podcasts and you can follow her on twitter at kristen meinzer next week on eclipsed the first installment of our series on the hidden history of hot beverages that's right hot bevs Eclipse is a production of Campside Media. It's hosted by me, Bijan Steven, and written by Michael Canyon-Meyer. We're produced by Lane Gerbig and Joe Hawthorne. Allison Haney is our production assistant. Archival research by Caitlin Rathie. We're fact-checked by Alex Yablon. Our engineer is Garrett Tiedemann. Our theme song is by Doug Slaywin. Our executive producers are me, Bijan Steven, and Michael Canyon-Meyer. The executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Schaer, Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Vanessa Gregoriadis. If you want to say hello or what's up, drop us a line at eclipsed at campsidemedia.com or tweet at us at EclipsedPod. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Stephen on Twitter and Twitch. On Instagram, on am Cakes. That's all for now. See you later.